episode 35 of Chirps, a St. Louis Cardinals podcast for Birds of the Black. I'm Tara, he's Alex, and we're wondering, how much does what coaches do or say really matter in the big leagues? What's up, everybody? Thanks for tuning in for another episode of the podcast. It's Tara and Alex with you again this week, as per usual. And as per usual, the Cardinals are still perfectly average as they come into play this evening, spending the week on the West Coast. So instead of telling you how this game ends as the show goes along, they will probably get things started as we're recording on this Tuesday evening. So should anything interesting happen we will be sure to let you know. But Alex, it feels like a week where not only did nothing interesting happen, it kind of feels like nothing happened. I agree. Uh, partly because there's been several off days. There's also, as you said, really nothing interesting has actually happened. <laughs> and, you know, I think Chris Bryant was actually channeling what he thought about the Cardinals team when he was mm. talking about the Maybe he was talking about like a... I'm not even trying to be like clever and funny here. I, I just think like, because <laughs> we've heard it a lot last couple weeks about how just boring this team is. And it really is a boring team. You know, I was thinking about this earlier today. Like, for instance, take the 2016 season, which I think most people would say was kind of a disappointing season, but you still had like the Matt Holiday uh, home run moment, which was absolutely amazing. One of my favorite Cardinals moments from the last couple of years. Last season, um, I, I'm, I'm thinking immediately off my head of like a, a Jairo Munoz walk-off home run mm-hmm. against Pittsburgh. Do you remember that game? Yep. You know, that Dexter Fowler game, just how much fun August was. What would we say about this year? What, what's been that fun moment that's happened this year? I think this is really telling because it's Pujols Albert Pujols. <laughs> <laughs> it's Albert Pujols returning to St. Louis and hitting a home run against the Cardinals. Okay. Because I think that's my answer too. What is your answer if we eliminate things uh, being done by opposing players? That's probably fair. I, and I'm putting you, I'm putting you on the spot here. I realize that, but it's really hard to come up with something cool. Or it fun. is, you know. Honestly, again, I think this is pretty telling. I would go back to. Paul Goldschmidt, three home runs in one game against Milwaukee. I mean, I know other things have happened since then, but that was the moment that I was like, wow, this is going to be really fun to watch. And I don't know that I've felt that way about this team, you know, in any grand fashion since then, which is really sad. (laughs) So so Paul Goldschmidt, as we're speaking, you know, the game against the Mariners has not started yet. So they are 41 and 41, just past the midway point. He has a 98 WRC plus. <sighs> and I'm, I'm looking, I, I believe he has a bit of a higher uh, a DRC plus. Um, but I, I'm looking, I just happen to be looking at Fangrass right now. And I'm scrolling down the team. Uh, I have them sorted by plate appearances. And there isn't a single player that I'm looking at that I think is hitting well beyond what they should. I think Marcelo Zuna is kind of right where we thought he probably would be. But he's not. He's been. I, I guess he's been uh, perhaps pleasantly surprising, but he's not been amazing. Yeah. You know, he's he's been good. Uh, Paul DeYoung has been what I would expect. For, you know, he started off in April. He was he was amazing. Um, but if you take the whole package, he's been probably pretty close to what most people would expect from 
Paul DeYoung. After that, everyone else is pretty much below average. I guess you could say Fowler. Fowler is having an improved season, but we're talking about on the on the heels of him having one of the worst seasons in MLB last year. So <laughs> the fact that he's hitting basically just for average uh, seems like a reason to celebrate. I guess my point here is c- conceding that I don't know what a, a hitting coach does. I mean, I know what they do, don't get me wrong, but I don't know how much blame is, can be fairly allocated right. on a hitting coach. But if your entire team is basically hitting below average, I think it's fair to say like, hey, are you sure you're doing the right thing right now? <laughs> are, you sure yeah. you're, are you sure you're helping them? Because most of them are taking a step backwards from last year. And man, if this was Mabry, let's say Matheny is still, is still the coach, which isn't beyond the realm of possibility with Bill DeWitt. You know, he doesn't fire people quickly, which, is, which can be a good thing, but can also be a bad thing. But let's say Matheny was still coach and Mabry was still, was still the hitting coach. And Paul Goldschmidt shows up and, and all of a sudden is hitting below average and everyone else is underperforming, we would be losing our minds. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I, I don't even know what to say. And like, the, the, the coaches are always a scapegoat. Because, and we've talked about this. It, it really does fall on the players. Like, Paul Goldschmidt should not need Jeff Albert to teach him how to hit. Yeah. And, and that, that's the same for a lot of these players. But if we're going to, like, fillet Mabry, which we absolutely would have, then I think it is fair to look in Jeff Albert's direction. I think it's a, a a really interesting point and one that you're right. I don't know that we have a good way to analyze. We don't really have a good way to uh, quantify what it is that Albert is or isn't doing. But I'm going to make a, a super apples to oranges comparison because I've heard a couple of people recently say what you just said. And that is, you know, if it's the entire team, if it's the entire lineup, an entire group of, of major league athletes, then you got to look at coaching somewhere, right? So this is my anecdote that is not even remotely comparable, but I'm going to do it anyway. Um, when I was a junior in college, I was taking a class that was uh, a philosophy class. And the teacher was a, a bit unusual, a little unorthodox in the way that she handled the class, the way that she presented information. And she informed us right away that the exams in the class were going to be extremely difficult. And we shouldn't worry because she was going to do a full day of review before every exam. And as long as we took good notes and studied the notes that we took, we'd be fine. So I, being the straight A student that I am, not to pat myself on the back, it's just an important note note for the story, um, took great notes, had a great review sheet. I was ready to go for this exam. Very first exam of the semester, all but one person in the class not just did poorly, but failed the exam, <laughs> including me. I was not the one person that didn't fail this test. I don't fail tests. It's, it's not a thing that I ever did in school. So I was freaking out, and she made it into this big philosophical argument about how we were all going to fail at life and not just at college. Uh, but my point with that class- Whoa, 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 whoa. She said what now? Yeah, she said we were all going to fail at life. Um, she also said that Pop-Tarts were going to be the doom of society. So, <laughs> you know, take it for what you will. Um, I, I never really figured out what her point was with uh, with her vendetta against Pop-Tarts. But the point of this story is that it was an entire class, right? Not just the, the lowest common denominator, not just the kids who didn't really want to be there. It was people who were really good at what they did as a student who were not able to take the information that she gave us and turn around and process it correctly to pass her test. So 
my approach with all of that was, okay, maybe we could have studied differently. Maybe we could have executed (laughs) some of this differently on our own, but I feel like this falls on you as the professor of the class. And I sort of feel like that's where we are with this Cardinals team, right? Like at some point you can't fire your coaching staff every year until someone figures out how to get it right. But when it's an entire group and it's an entire group that includes guys like Paul Goldschmidt who can't figure out what's going wrong, you got to start looking somewhere to the people who are in position to try to make these changes that aren't happening. Yeah, I, I was not a straight-A student, but even I would say uh, that teacher should be fired. I was probably, uh, if we could equate hitting to grades, I was probably the uh, Yadier Molina of your class, maybe. Okay, all right. Uh, he's having a horrible year at the plate, by the way. But no, no, I agree. And I, believe me, I'm not calling for anyone to be fired. I, I believe in stability in terms of building strong teams. Uh, th- that doesn't mean stability for the sake of stability, but... Look at any organization that's a mess, and there's always high turnover, right? Right, yeah. Uh, and that's almost true across the board in sports. It's, it's just you you want stability. And the Cardinals have traditionally been been very good at that. So I'm, I'm certainly not calling for anyone to be fired. It's just, to me, th- there really is... I, I don't even know how to say it. There's just really not much of an excuse for this offense to be yeah. to be this bad. No, I agree. And I think that's the frustration that fans are expressing. That's what's creeping through perhaps in some of the questions that Mike Schilt is getting these days, which led to his lengthy comments the other day and his follow-up to those comments and then a follow-up to the follow-up of those comments on the radio on Sunday. I think he's taking a little bit of heat, uh, not that's not even accurate. He's taken a lot of heat (laughs) for some of the things that he said. And in a lot of ways, I I feel like he was just trying to express things from his perspective that like, we know that it's not going well. We, we know, (laughs) we know that it's not working. We know what's going poorly. We know what isn't working, but there are some things that we have improved from last year. And he's not wrong about that. It's just that they're not generating more wins And that's the ultimate goal. So it kind of came across to me, Alex, talking about Mike Schultz commentary over the last week, that most of what he said was really just in defense of his players. It kind of had a a Tony La Russa-esque feel to it in some regard, but not... I, I don't. It obviously didn't generate the results because they've won one game since his uh, his little mini rant in uh, in the pregame last week. So I, I don't know. Is this a a good thing about Mike Schilt that he's protective of his guys, or is it sort of blissful ignorance about what the expectations and what the pressures are, or is this all just a way to deflect and get people talking about other things? Well, first thing, it's probably not a huge deal in the grand scheme. But I, I don't think it's good. I think, to me, anytime you hear a coach do a, to do a rant or kind of a monologue, whatever you want to call it, similar to this, it's usually when the coach is in a very beleaguered position, leading to his boss having to come out and give him a vote of confidence, uh, which usually means he'll be fired in a couple of months. Or it usually indicates you have a guy who's in over his head. I'm hoping neither is the case here with Schilt, but there's no to me, there's just absolutely no excuse for him to go on for, for him to say those things. I mean, did you read uh, Mike Bauer's uh, column at uh, St. Louis Bullpen today on it? 
I have not had a chance to read it yet. It's really good. I highly recommend it. And because it wasn't like hot takey at all. Like it was, he was very much looking at it from both sides. And he kind of just talked about like the Cardinals have a culture problem in that if if these are the things that we're we're defending, the the idea that, you know, like how dare, how dare fans be upset when the team is, I guess at the time, two and a half games out of whatever it was, the wild card or first, I guess probably the division at that point. That's not the point. This team is not good, at least where it, where you need to be good, at least where it moves the needle. They have bad pitching and we already talked about that. They're, they're hitting, they're not good hitters. And on top of that, Schilt has one of the best jobs in sports. One of the best jobs in sports. Like, I'm not feeling sorry for that guy at all. He should be thankful that he's in the position that he's in. And I didn't look at, at I didn't, you know, I saw a lot of people making the La Russa comparisons. And I just can't, couldn't quite go there. I think for several reasons. Like, one, La Russa's comments to me, whenever he would get in those kind of spats with the media or do things like that, it never quite seemed whiny. It always seemed more just like he was kind of a jerk, <laughs> which is, which, and there is a difference there. And I love Larusa. Second, I'm sorry, but Larusa has the pedigree and Schilt doesn't. And that matters. Like, yeah, should we treat everyone absolutely the same? Sure. But that's not how this works. And, and Schilt even benefits from that in a way in that, he's getting a lot more leeway right now than say Mike Matheny would if Mike Matheny was still the manager and this team was doing what they're doing right now. People would be going crazy. Like she'll still, believe it or not, in my opinion, still has a little goodwill for the sole fact that he's not Mike Matheny. So I just, I just don't see those LaRusa comparisons at all. And, and again, I know before I've said I wasn't wild about the way she was hired and I wanted more of a hiring a, a real hiring process, but I'm not at all calling for, I don't think Schilt should be fired. I still think he, he is a decent enough manager and, and can be a very good manager, but I saw nothing good from those comments. I, I just thought he sounded like, uh, like kind of whiny. Yeah, no, first of all, I'm going to disagree with you a little bit, but I do want to say, I agree. I think it came off as he was really offended and not just defending his players. And that's, I think where it got a little weird for me. I did not, though, take it as this direct assault on the fan base that a lot of people did. I mean, the comments that he made were more to the members of the media that were asking him the questions than they were about the fan base as a whole. That said, there were some comments about, you know, I thought the I thought they, whoever they is, would appreciate these little things that we were doing. And and I get that. It sounded like, okay, yes, we can appreciate the little things, but the little things don't win championships. So I get that. But I didn't see it as this all-out assault on a fan base that has been nothing but loyal for as long as he's been a part of the organization. And in fact, he followed it up a number of times, a number of different ways in that first little uh, tirade or whatever you want to call it, as well as in his consecutive comments saying, look, the fans are upset because they care and I wouldn't change that for the world. So I did, I certainly didn't see it as this, you know, attack. How dare they be upset by the fact that we're not winning as much as it was, man, just appreciate something pick one thing in, in any of this and appreciate that. And that was as much to the media as it was to the fan base as a whole. But I would also say this, and 
this might seem like a little bit of a stretch, but as far as, you know, Mike Schultz should be thankful that he has this amazing job, he absolutely should. But that's a little bit like saying the fan base should be appreciative of little things in baseball to me in that, like, yes, he should be grateful that he has this job, but it doesn't change the fact that it's got to be hard to face these questions every single day and not be able to find the thing that changes it. That doesn't mean he gets to excuse it, but that doesn't make it any easier to find some other way to say, yeah, I know we're not hitting. Yeah, I know we're not pitching well. Uh, and that makes for pretty boring media sessions. So I, I, I just didn't see it as maybe personally vengeful <laughs> as it came across to a lot of other people, but you articulated what I think a lot of other people felt about it. So I'm very much in the minority and not being quite as outraged by it as I think a lot of other people were. Oh, I, I wasn't outraged by it. I didn't think it was like an all out, like him going after the fans. Uh, although he did say that one thing. <laughs> and but, that I did, I did cringe a little at that specifically. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was ridiculous for a variety of reasons. Uh, for starters, like we, we don't care about, stolen bases, um, returning the whitey ball. We, we want a good team. That's all this fan base wants. And for him to say, like, can't you appreciate, and this is not a direct quote, this is me paraphrasing what it, kind of the whole point of the press conference seemed to be of him saying, like, can't you all appreciate anything? And I, the way I look at it is, like, you're only as good as your expectations that you set for yourself. And 41 and 41 I'm sorry, but those just weren't the expectations. And the type of questions he's getting right now because of the position the Cardinals are in are the exact questions that every single manager in Major League Baseball has gotten at some point. I feel pretty confident saying every single manager in baseball right now has faced the type of questions he's getting without going on that sort of rants is probably too strong of a word because Schilt doesn't even seem like the type of guy who rants. He just sort of talks. You know what? That reminds me of something. Um, and this is this goes back to my thing of like, you know, he still has a lot of goodwill because he's not Mike Matheny. I'm almost getting a little tired of every time, like, say, Schilt does something in a game. Like, let's say he calls for a bunt at some point in the game or, 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 I don't know, like, leaves a pitcher in for a certain amount of time. And then later, after the game, in a post game, someone asks him about it, and he explains his reasoning. And everyone's like, oh, my gosh, did you see that? Like, yeah, I didn't agree with what he did, but the way he explained it was just so refreshing and amazing. And no, it's not. It's just like a normal. Why does he get so much credit for just explaining? Because Matheny never explained anything. Well, and that's my, because Mike Matheny would say that was our guy there. And that's the extent of it. So having any sort of explanation is more than we've had in years. Right. But that's sort of my point. Like he still gets so much goodwill out of not being Mike Matheny that, yeah, I don't, I don't feel sorry for Schultz at all. And, and I don't think he was asking me to feel sorry for him. No. Uh, yeah, I, it wasn't a rant. Like, you know, Schultz is a pretty level-headed person. Um, but they weren't <laughs> comments that needed to be made. And I, I'm going to say it again. I'm getting tired of hearing him get so much credit for explaining very basic moves in a baseball game. Yeah, well, that is a, a byproduct of the recent past. Though I do think that it is fair to point out that we were real – annoyed by the bad defense and the bad base running last year. So to say that that's not something that a fan base 
should appreciate. I feel like undersells how bad <laughs> the base running and defense was last year, which I think is what he was trying to allude to. That's another very Mike Schilt thing. Like he was trying to say, Hey, this was really bad for years and it's not really bad anymore. <laughs> um, without pointing fingers specifically at people that were in charge of those things last year. Uh, so I'm happy to give them credit for that. But I think the bottom line remains yeah, that's not winning them games. Yeah, start working. And great, start working on the offense now. Yeah, so now that you fixed that, let's fix the next thing, right. which continues to be the lack of ability to score runs, and that has gotten more difficult in the last week with the loss of Marcelo Zuna to an injury for an undetermined amount of time, and now. Uh. Matt Carpenter joining him on the IL, which some people might not see as a significant loss, but the point is Matt Carpenter not being Matt Carpenter is still a significant loss to this team and the the offensive potential that they have. So all of a sudden you're looking at a team that's without Jordan Hicks, without Marcelo Zuna, without Matt Carpenter, and it's kind of exaggerating all of those issues that Mike Schilt would really like for people to stop talking about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know where they go from here as far as that's concerned, and you know, as far as his comments, it's fine to say those things. And then, you know, I, I was listening to him on the radio with, Tara, with Tom Tara, Ackerman have, on Sunday. I have to interrupt you right now. I have to. I, right. I just got a trifecta on bombs away. Jose Martinez just hit a home run to left field in the first inning, which is what I called nice. on uh, Cardinals gifts bombs away. Um, well done. For those that don't know, that's a little uh, game we do, I guess, at Birds on the Black, where you, you predict – Who's going to hit the first home run? Where's it going to go? And where's the, and what inning? And I called it perfectly. I'm so happy. This is this is this is the high point of the season that we're looking for. <laughs> new high point. Yeah. New, new highlight, right. everybody. All right. Um, sorry, sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt, but I felt that is important. that is well worth interrupting for. I uh, have I was on a really really strong streak in bombs away for a while at the beginning of the season. I've gone pretty cold, much like the rest of the offense, evidently. Uh, But congratulations. Well done. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, And it's Jose Martinez who is, uh, who needed that, I think, as far as his offensive production goes. But what I was about to say is I don't quite know where they go in trying to fix those things because there's just not an easy solution. Although if Jose Martinez starts hitting home runs again, that, that would certainly help. Absolutely. (laughs) Another telling thing about this team to me is that Paul DeYoung is the lone all-star representative. And that was because the Cardinals had to have one. (laughs) And it is also sort of by default because he was not voted in by coaches and players and fans. He was just selected by Major League Baseball when they realized that there were two teams that did not have a player voted into the All-Star game, the Cardinals and the Marlins. So that's the company that they're keeping right now. To me, the telling thing is we weren't even mad about it. Like like usually when that happens, there will be a a decent segment of fans complaining about a certain person getting snubbed and no one cared. Like like no, like (laughs) because you can't make that argument in good faith that anyone is getting snubbed. I think I, I tweeted I don't know, it's probably been three weeks ago now, three weeks, maybe a month even, that you know, if you need to know why the Cardinals are not winning the division, well, take a look at who's going to make the All-Star game and the fact that the Cardinals don't have one. And I mean, now they do by default, but you're right. No one was, no one was calling for any you know, recount or anything when 
that's the way it broke for the right. Cardinals. And that's pretty unfortunate. Yeah. You know, I, I the All-Star game's weird because I really enjoy the pomp and circumstance uh, before the game. I, I like watching the players get announced and all that jazz. Uh, but once the game starts, it's really pretty awful. Yeah. So, so I can, which actually works to my advantage. I can turn it off pretty quickly. <laughs> uh, yeah, I feel like it didn't used to be that way. I feel like it used to feel like way less of a uh, exhibition, which it probably should feel more like an exhibition than not. Uh, but just with like the mics on the field and stuff like that, I don't know. Not, not for me. But I think this is actually a good thing. You know, I, I think it could be nice not having. Um, like having an opportunity for the Cardinal for Cardinals to get as much rest and clear their heads as possible. So I'm certainly not going to be too upset that there aren't going to be a lot of Cardinals at the All-Star game. Clearing their heads, kind of figuring where they're figuring out where they're going in the second half might not be such a bad thing, especially considering the fact that the rest of the NL Central is almost as bad. And that's the one saving grace as far as the season is concerned is that the Cubs are in a bit of a tailspin. The Brewers can't seem to get any momentum. I was joking with a Brewers fan the other day that the Reds are going to be the team that suddenly turns it on in the second half and surprises everyone and makes it to the postseason because everyone else can't get it together, at least not for a long enough period of time. So the NL Central still pretty bunched, but not necessarily for the reasons we expected. I think we expected at least the top three teams to be super competitive and instead they've been super average. (laughs) And that is the reason that the Cardinals at 41 and 41, you know, have uh, been able to stick around long enough to, uh, I don't know, put something together in the second half to do that. Paul Goldschmidt's going to have to figure it out. I mean, that's, that's the reality offensively. I think is that he's got to be Paul Goldschmidt. And if he's not, I don't know that average is going to result in a, a postseason run. That's for sure. Yeah, you mentioned the NL Central, and you know, I was thinking about Schilt's thing. Uh, you know, and anytime a manager does that, you, I always kind of look inward to see, like, you know, are we? Do we have the proper perspective here? Are we, you know, putting too much heat on the manager on the team? Are we not being appreciative enough? And then I started thinking, how many fan bases? Um, and when I say fan bases, I'm kind of talking about like uh, the circles we run in. So kind of like the the Twitter the Twitter fan bases. How many of the 30 teams do you think are happy, uh, generally happy with their team? Like maybe the Astros. So Yan- on occasion, Yankees, yes. <laughs> Yankees, yeah. yes. Uh, for the rest of the AL East, I would almost say. Rays, but the Rays have kind of, you know, they started off so strong and now they've slipped. Um, and now they are, I guess, kind of fighting for that wild card spot. So they might be starting to get a little grumpy. But they have Tommy Fan. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, <laughs> yes, yes. They do have that. And we certainly do not. The Red Sox fans are definitely grumpy. Uh, we don't even need to yep. talk about the Blue Jays and Orioles. And the AL Central, <laughs> the Twins, their fans are happy. Yeah. Indians fans, probably not very happy, although they're playing better now. White Sox fans might be kind of happy because they're, they're kind of close to 500. And that's, I think, we're, that's kind of closer to the uh, ce- you know, ceiling for that team. See, I don't know if that's the right way to say it. But, you know, I, I th- and they have some exciting young players. So the White Sox actually, yeah. fans might actually be happy. Tigers, Royals, of course not. Then you have the AL West, which Astros happy. Rangers, yeah, pro- yeah Rangers fans happy. A's fans might be getting there. Angels, Mariners, probably not. 
Sorry, this is taking way long <laughs> than I want to do. My point is, I don't, I'm not going to go through the whole National League. My point is, e- even though I think we're right to question uh, and to be upset about this team, it seems like almost more more fans, more fan bases than not are, are pretty upset at their teams. And it's because, yeah, I think- it's because like the, the you brought to NL Central, like, like these titles feel like they're there for the taking. And that's what's frustrating. Mm-hmm. That's what's been frustrating the last couple of years is – 2017, the Cardinals could have, you know, there was not a perfect team in that division. The Cubs were not perfect. The Cardinals, you know, even though they finished nine games behind uh, the Cubs in 2017, you feel like with a few things here and there in terms of roster-wise that they could have competed for that division. Same with last year. 2016 was really the only year since the Cardinals haven't made the playoffs where the Cardinals just had no chance. The Cubs were awesome. They caught every single break on top of being awesome, and it just wasn't going to happen. It was the Cubs' year. Yeah, definitely available for the team that will step up or have a couple of guys step up. One of those guys for the Cardinals that's going to need to step up is on the mound tonight, Jack Flaherty, getting the start. And before we move on and and let you do the chirp of the week, Alex, just wanted to make note, Jack Flaherty, many of you probably saw, posted on Instagram and on Twitter a, a really touching message uh, about Tyler Skaggs, the pitcher for the Angels that uh, I'm sure by now everyone listening is aware that he passed away unexpectedly earlier this week, evidently was a pretty close friend of Jack's. And boy, I don't know how you go out there and play a baseball game a day after finding out that news, but we've seen it happen in a number of organizations, we've watched it and experienced it within the Cardinals organization a couple of times. And if nothing else, it gives perspective. And for Jack Flaherty, who has struggled a bit this season, not the perfect storm of circumstances for him to go out there and pitch tonight, but obviously an opportunity to uh, to, to put it all in perspective and and then just go play baseball because it's baseball, not because it's life. That said, of course, our thoughts and prayers are with Tyler Skaggs' family and friends and teammates and everyone that's sort of reeling at this point from this news and this tragedy. Alex, obviously, lots of shades of Daryl Kyle in all of this for Cardinals fans. So plenty of sympathy and, and awareness to go around at this point, I think. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I don't have much to add other than just such awful news. Um in a weird way, uh, well, no, I, I don't think it's weird, but it's it's. I'm I'm kind of rooting for the Angels now. You know, I I, yeah. I feel feel awful for their team, and you know, I I hope they are able to find peace and do well the rest of the season. Tough task for them to do that and settle in and and play baseball, but that is what they will all try to do. As will everyone else who knew him and played with him, and has to get back to their own lives at this point. So. Hopefully Jack can do that tonight as well. But to wrap things up here, let's move on to the chirp of the week. Alex, what do you have for us this week? Okay, so as I mentioned earlier, the Cardinals are 41-41. and 41. Uh, They will have a different record by the time everyone is listening to this. But as we entered uh, tonight and as we're recording, they're 41-41. and 41. And you can't get more middle of the road than that at what is basically the midpoint of the season. So I got on baseball reference today and I, I went back because I wanted to find the most recent Cardinals team that was 41 and 41. And I wanted to see then how they did. 
And the last team that was ever 41 and 41 was the 2001 Cardinals. Uh, and that might surprise you uh, because the 2001 Cardinals were actually very good. But it does not surprise me because I remember when they were kind of floundering that summer, or, or floundering might not be the right word, but when they were not playing out to expectations that summer, I was working, uh, I just graduated from college, and I was working construction that summer. It was kind of like the last, I guess, real summer job that I ever had, like the type of job that you know, you have, you know, between school or right after school. And I remember talking to a guy and I was just like, I don't, you know, the guy I worked with, who was also a Cardinals fan. And I said something effective. I think the Cardinals are done. And he was like, oh, no, they're not done. Well, sure enough, from that point on, Tara, they went 52 and 28, which is a 105 win pace. Um, and they ended up with a 93 and 69 record. And they tied with the Houston Astros. And, and the funny thing is, when the Cardinals were 41 and 41, they only had a plus 16 run differential. So it's not like it was a fluke. They really were playing close to 500 ball. But from there on out, like I said, they played at 105 win pace and they also had a 121 uh, plus run differential uh, from there on out too. And, and that's an 80 game. So that's pretty incredible. Uh, and they also, so when they were 41 and 41, they were actually. I have it written down here. Where is it? Yes, there were seven games behind the first place Chicago Cubs, who were forty-eight and thirty-four, <laughs> and there were three games behind the Astros. Uh, the Cubs ended up slipping, although Cubs still won eighty-eight games, uh, which uh, I believe would have gotten them that fifth wild card, that that second wild card spot, if that was a thing back then. But it wasn't. But the Cardinals, as I said, were neck and neck with the Astros, and they actually gained four games on the Astros in the last ten games of the season to tie them. <laughs> now the Astros were granted the division, I believe because of head to head record. But when I think back, I always uh, count that as also another division the Cardinals won in 2001. And they went to the playoffs, obviously, and they played the Diamondbacks in the NLDS. And they actually outscored the Diamondbacks in that series 12 to 10. But they lost the series three to two. And they lost those three games by a combined four runs. A lot of that had to do with the fact that of the 44 innings pitched by the Diamondbacks that series, 26 were by Randy Johnson and Kurt Schilling. And that's when they were at the top of their game. And so that'll do it. Yeah, they were a tough out. But the Cardinals had really good pitching in that series as well. They had Matt Morris, who was uh, pretty much their ace, and he had an incredible NLDS. Uh, they also had Woody Williams, who pitched very well, and they had Daryl Kyle, who. Uh, he got the loss in one of the games, but he still pitched very well. And Daryl Kyle, as you mentioned, is someone we've been thinking about lately uh, because of the awful uh, Tyler Skaggs news. Um, and, you know, it's interesting because we talk about a lot of Cardinals teams as kind of near misses, uh, especially leading up to 06, uh, before they actually won one, you know, where it seemed like, you know, will this team, you know, will the Cardinals ever win one? We've been so close. But we never really think about the 01 team because they didn't even make the NLCS. But we probably should because we gave the Diamondbacks as good a run for their money as anyone. Um, mm -hmm. And they, they, they beat us and then they went and just plowed through the Braves in the NLCS. And then, as most people know, they played the Yankees and won a thrilling seven games. Um, but we gave them every much uh, to handle as the Yankees did. And who knows, you know, if we win that series, that, that, there's a very good chance the Cardinals could have made something happen as well you know, pass that and perhaps won the World Series. But 
There you go. That's your chirp of the week. The 2001 Cardinals, also 41 and 41, just like your 2019 Cardinals. Will the 2019 Cardinals play at a 105 win pace from here on out? I don't know. Um, I'm not putting my money on it, but who knows? We will find out. And that is your chirp of the week. Tara, do you have any um, memories of the 2001 team or, or anything? Well, in full disclosure, I've mentioned a couple of times, I did not grow up where access to the Cardinals was particularly easy. And uh, the 2002 season is really the first season that I was particularly invested in enough that there are well-defined memories of that team. So no, <laughs> I don't. <laughs> that's uh that's all i have to say i mean bits and pieces here and there about that 2001 season but certainly not anything um as formative as the uh the 2002 cardinals and beyond for me but maybe that's why i don't count them as one of those teams that was as good as some of those other early 2000s teams because i just wasn't paying close enough attention at that point in my life well (laughs) let me give you a quick a few quick fun facts about the 2001 team all right Uh, it was Mark McGuire's last season. He hit 29 home runs and 364 plate appearances. Uh, and, and he only had 56 hits total. Uh, and I, I think I've looked this up before. I believe, I don't quite remember what the parameters were, but I believe he's like the only player ever who hit like 25 or more home runs um, and had fewer uh other hits <laughs> combined. <laughs> uh, yeah, so he had he had more home runs than he had singles, doubles, or triples combined. Um, which you know that's no surprise there. I think he had probably more home runs in you know two weeks than he did triples all throughout his career. But the fact that you know singles and doubles uh, when you count those in that is pretty surprising. Mike Matheny was the catcher. Uh, JD Drew uh, was on that team and had an awesome season. Um, very, very good season. Most people always think of J.D. Drew as a disappointment, which might not be fair because he was hurt a lot. But let me tell you what J.D. Drew did in 2001. And, and he was hurt a little bit this season too. But in, four, in about 450 plate appearances, he, ha- he hit uh, 323, 414, 613 uh, for a 161 OPS+. Plus. So he, not he terrible. Not terrible at all. <laughs> Obviously, Albert Pujols in his second season, yeah. um, busy being Albert Pujols. While Mike Matheny was bad at the plate, uh, I'd forgotten how bad he actually <laughs> was. Um, we had, we saw Placido Polanco, so we hadn't made the roll and trade yet. But Jim Edmonds was in his second season as a Cardinal, and he was doing very well. Uh, Fernando Vina as well, who we saw earlier this week at one of the Cardinals games. I think threw out a pitch and was signing some autographs. Mm-hmm. And I already mentioned a lot of the pitchers, um, but there was also, besides the three starters I mentioned earlier, there was also Bud Smith, um, who is the last Cardinal to throw a no-hitter. Bud Smith, who also, I don't think, ever pitched another game. Uh, He also went over with Placido Polanco in the Scott Rowland trade. I don't believe he ever pitched uh, for the Phillies, but I could be wrong. There you go. Those are some fun facts about 2001. There you go. If if you, like me, are terribly unfamiliar with the 2001 Cardinals, there's your crash course. Uh, in addition to your chirp of the week, that was just extra. So bonus, bonus chirps <laughs> or something. I don't know. We'll, we'll come up with a different name for that at some point. Um, all right, Alex, the Cardinals are leading on that solo home run by Jose Martinez. Jack Flaherty made it interesting trying to get out of the bottom of the first inning, but he did it successfully thanks to some defense and uh, pop-up 
with two runners on. So we'll see if this score holds. I can't imagine that it will. The Cardinals haven't won very many one nothing games as of late or at all. Have they won a one nothing game this year? I'd have to look that uh, up. But we'll we'll save that for another no time. Uh, <laughs> I don't know either, but it doesn't seem like they have, at least not in the, the recent past. Their one run games have been uh, few and far between and their shutouts maybe even further between than that so we'll see what happens in the rest of this one we will be back with you again next week of course it is a holiday week so for all of you with fourth of july plans whether you're traveling or just trying not to do anything terribly dangerous with fireworks (laughs) happy fourth of july to all of you from us make sure that you're following us on twitter at birds on the black i'm at tara wellman he's at alex card 79 And we'll talk to you next time.